Welcome to the Law Spot Podcast with your host, Melissa Gray. Join her as she highlights legal professionals and trending legal issues facing entrepreneurs and small business owners. Ready to dive into life and law? You're in the right spot. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Law Spot. I'm so excited about today's guest, Enrico Schaefer, founder of Traverse Legal. He has been representing clients for over 30 years, and we're going to dive into the hot button issue and legal topic of artificial intelligence. So welcome, Enrico. Thanks, Melissa. Happy to be here. So I know that you are uh, representing some of the largest companies in the world, litigation, blockchain, crypto, NFTs, you're all over it. But Today, I want to focus on uh, AI, but before we do that, maybe tell the listeners a little bit about your practice and your firm and uh, just share a little bit about your background. Sure. Uh, so, name is Enrico, and uh, I am, I suppose I pride myself on being an old guard attorney who loves new and emerging technology. So, my practice for, for most of my career has been in the new and emerging technology space and representing companies who are new and emerging technology companies and intellectual property focus, litigation background. Um, our motto is changing the way law is practiced. And I guess another way to, to say that same byline is using technology to change the way law is practiced. So not only do we represent these technology companies, we also use the same technology to provide better services to the clients. And you you just showed me firsthand how you're implementing that in your firm, but for the benefit of, of people, what are we talking about when we say the word artificial intelligence in this context? So artificial intelligence has got a lot of different definitions. And, and in this context, it really is, um, let me give you kind of a technical uh, 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 viewpoint. We all know about the Google algorithm and we all know that TikTok's got an algorithm and all these different platforms have their algorithm. And they're, they're, they developed those algorithms with hundreds of millions of dollars in investment and they're proprietary. No one knows what they are, but we know they're valuable. We know that they do amazing things, right? AI, there's just a single algorithm for every single interaction with AI. And AI in the context that we're seeing mostly right now, there's some image generation, there's some video generation, but in the context of language is where chat GPT and open AI have just kind of blown the lid off things. And so large language models are essentially uh, huge data sets of information and the the proprietary, the magic sauce for AI is it can now listen to my words or read my words in plain English or any other language and know what I'm asking. So the analogy would be prior to AI, I had to hire a software developer to write all this code based on all of the different coding language and protocols in order to get an output. AI takes the need to write code and, and throws it out. AI takes your question in plain English and knows how to provide the output. 
So that's, that's what's going on is I no longer have to be a coder in order to get information or make something happen. I can just tell AI what I want in plain English and it will give it to me, whether it's a question or context or a action, analyze this text and, and tell me what the main points are, whatever it happens to be. So that's, that's one way to look at it from a technical standpoint. From a very general standpoint, it's really just when computers understand to do things that are usually required human intelligence. So that's the other aspect of it. So AI can solve problems and recognize patterns. It can do things that before we thought only a human can do, right? Humans can learn from their experiences and they can take that knowledge and make decisions. AI can do now do the same thing, can, can learn from experience, it can learn from patterns, and it can improve over time. That is a very simple thing to say, but the implications of that um, is staggering. Right. So um, let's say you have a client that comes to you and they're saying, okay, I have this new technology that uh, we're tapping into the API, what do you talk to them about from the very beginning? And how do you guide them through the, the pitfalls that they inevitably will face along the way when, they, when they're really intrigued and they want to hit the ground running, um, but also not run into issues uh, legally? Yes, and it is a great question, and it's one that is too often overlooked by the companies who are so afraid of missing out and getting to that launch date that they forget to talk to their attorneys along the way, right? So in a way, AI is no different than blockchain or NFTs or unmanned aerial vehicles or software as a service or all the different things that came before it that were new and emerging at one point, right? They're a business startup. So the first thing that we talk about with every client across all those issues for the for the eternity of time is the need to do an assessment project. And it's typically a $3,500, let's get under the hood, figure out what's there, review your information, where you are, but also figure out what are your goals, right? Uh, one year, three year, five year, what is your budget? What is your risk tolerance? What are the things you're concerned or afraid about? So just getting that first project under your belt allows the attorney to develop a battle plan, a documented, here are your issues, here are the priority, here's the priority of those issues based on everything that you've told me about your business, your risk tolerance, your goals, your budgets, right? Here's what each of these things might cost in a range. Here's what we recommend based on how well we know you at this point, which granted is not that well. So what are your decisions as a client as to what you want to do from this list first? And you want the client to think about the fact that they're not hiring to do you to do website agreements. They're hiring you as their outside counsel to help them month in and month out on the next priority based on their budget. Right. And what you want them to do is think about not a what's this website agreement going to cost as much as I need to allocate a certain amount of funds every month to be able to pick off the next thing and keep the ball moving forward. So you you want as an attorney relationship clients, but clients also should want relationship attorneys. And so the first project is just figuring out that bullet list. And it includes things like 
identification of all your IP, trademarks, copyrights, intellectual property, patents, um, trade secrets, what have you, and then figure out what are the options for protecting that IP, right? Who are you? Do you have employees? Do you have founders? Do you have investors? All right. Now there's a variety of different contracts that are going to circle around those things. Are there, are there um, software developers? Do you have a work for hire agreement? Those particular issues. What is your corporate structure? LLC typically, multi-member, not multi-member. So you go through all those things. You come up with a big list of, of potential projects, and then you figure out what you're going to do first. So on the IP side, if, uh, I mean, to me, uh, the, the brand without those protections, regardless of contracts or anything else, can't be marketed. So I, I think that, and it's, it's very relevant to my space. So uh, maybe share a little bit on the war story side, a situation <laughs> where- Let's, let's scare them. That and- and if they had what it would have cost on the front end versus the back end. Well, so you and I see it all the time, right? Which is, um, you know, people get out over their skis and what, and they're like, oh, but I didn't want to spend the $2,000 or whatever on this trademark, you know, clearance and, and registration or $3,000, whatever it happens to be with all the fees. I didn't want to spend that at that point. And, and so, what it happens is you see it, I see it, it's like, okay, so that, that $3,000 spend just turned into you're out of business three years later because you didn't do a trademark clearance and some big company is now breathing down your throat saying we're going to see you into oblivion because you need to stop using that trademark, which sounds bad, but is worse because, oh, you have to give up your domain name. All of the investment you made in your branding, all of your contracts, all of your customer relationships, everything is designed around your brand. It's the foundation of your DNA as a business. And so you need to do a trademark clearance shirt search to make sure that there is enough space around those that word or words that you're going to use as your company name, your product name, whatever it happens to be. So that the risk of getting shut down later is low rather than high, right? And then only after you get through that trademark clearance search, go ahead and register your trademark with the USPTO and start to protect it. There are no words left in the world, as you know, because every little store on the corner now has got a website and they're global. And so it's very difficult to come up with a brand name, a company name that doesn't have, everyone has some issues. The question is, are they so significant that you need to come up with a different one? Really and, hard to come up with a different one, but sometimes you gotta do it. Yes, and over your, you know, you've seen the internet evolve and I think everyone agree it's mature now, mm -hmm. but whereas maybe 30 years ago, a federal registration wasn't as important because of the adoption of the internet and everybody having a website, and the ability to uh, protect your brand online, I think that just, it, it almost opens it up to every single business owner needing to at least do the clearance, if not perform, you know, the actual act of registering. Yeah, it's, it's so true. And, and trademarks are, have, on the one hand, they've become way more important 
and way more potentially valuable. But on the other hand, the risk of not protecting your trademark it, it, the, can be way more severe. So, you know, one of the things that I always tell clients is like 50% of Apple's entire market cap of its total value is just its trademarks, its intellectual property, its goodwill around MacBook and iPhone and all these great brands that we all know what they are, right? 50% of his entire company value is his trademarks. You might not have much of a chance of becoming Apple, but the point remains your company name, your brand name, your product name, your service name, whatever it happens to be is how people know you and you need to identify it, protect it, and register it with the USPTO where you get all these benefits that you don't otherwise get if you don't go through the registration process. So let's turn to patents for a minute because software in the, in the patent space is, is a difficult um, area. And do you practice in that? And how do you advise clients on the AI side? Um, and, and what is the likelihood of someone having a patent on this area of technology? So, you know, th that is an interesting question. And I have other patent attorneys that I work with, so I'm more on the front end intake and then handoff part of it. But, you know, it's some of this is, is, fairly, is fairly obvious, which is, okay, if you're just tapping into someone else's intellectual property, their, a their, their API, you might not have much of a chance of developing a patent around your particular use of that of that LLM of that AI tool through the API, right? But if you've developed advanced scripting on the back end or advanced props, you can protect that as copyright protected material, which is just as equally uh, great in terms of intellectual property, right? However, if you are on the more advanced side, you're not just tapping into an API, but you're developing AI, your machine learning uh, tools, um, then you've got this kind of, are you gonna, are you gonna try, are you gonna invent something new and therefore try and protect it by patent? Are you gonna open source it, right? And just simply uh, put it out there like a lot of the projects uh, have, have done historically. We have open AI that treats its AI algorithm as proprietary. It doesn't let anyone um, in on that. Um, and, I, and I do think it's this interesting thing where there's been this massive kind of push towards open source in the blockchain space. But now we're seeing in the AI space uh, the push back towards proprietary algorithms and, and tools that are going to be, you know, built like OpenAI has built ChatGPT, and then it's gonna be API access for third parties to that proprietary tool on a subscription or data use basis. So assuming that's gonna be the majority of projects, what contracts are we looking at in that scenario on you know, tapping into the API, you've got the license, uh, maybe walk through everybody um, for that piece because I think it'd be valuable. Sure. So on the, on the, on what is, what is happening right now is this explosion of people simply leveraging the, the API, right? Whether it's, it's Google's or, or open AI's API, everyone's just building on top of what's already there. So the first contract that they've got is their, 
contract, their license with OpenAI. And so you want to review that. They've got a fairly robust license that tells you what you can and cannot do with that API, you know, and, and you know, lets you know where the edges of your business model may be and the risks of, well, you know, what happens if they decide to abandon GPT 3.5 Turbo altogether and your tool is built on that and it's not compatible with what turns out to be 6.0, right? So you need to understand some of that stuff. But for you as a company looking outward, it's going to be your software as a service agreement. If you're going to have subscribers, and they're going to register, then you're going to have this, this service agreement for them. That's going to be a click wrap agreement. That's going to define what you're providing, what the cost is, what happens if, um, you know, what, what is your, your, your service level uptime, these types of things, what remedies do they have? If you go down, can you terminate their use? You know, all the classic software as a service contract terms that you're going to have in there. If it's going to be a free use of the API, you might still want to get registration information on the front end to get that click wrap agreement that I agree because those are far more enforceable than the footer terms of use, which people may or may not ever look at. But hey, if you want to do a free tool to get to get rolling, you're not going to get names and addresses and you're not going to require registration like a lot of the tools do not at this point, then you're going to have to have uh, a minimum in the footer, your terms of use, your website agreements, which control, you know, things like, um, you know, user generated content, right? So uh, you've got that data privacy is huge. You've, you've got as a, as a vendor using the API from OpenAI, OpenAI has a whole set of data security and data privacy um, terms but you are also going to have data privacy and, uh, and data security uh, terms that you're gonna to have to provide to your customers. So all those things that we tend to think of as website agreements, then you've got developers, are they contractors? If they're contractors, you need to make sure they work for hire so that you own the code, you own the IP, you're gonna to have to have non-disclosure so they can't gonna go compete against you, right? If you've got founders and investors, you're gonna to have to make sure that um, all those agreements uh, are in place. And, and especially if you've got a founder group, what I tell folks is, these are all your typically friends going in. Hopefully you'll still be friends three years ago, but let's assume you're not. You know, what? let's say someone no longer is gonna be, uh, their life circumstances changes, they're no longer rowing on, on the oars. You need to have that built into your agreements. What happens then? Because it happens all the time. There's a falling out, it happens all the time. Your, uh, your agreement between founders, which may be your, your membership agreement with your LLC, has to spell out what happens in the worst case scenario. So hope for the best, but as lawyers, right, Melissa, we plan for the worst and have those tough conversations that clients don't want to have sometimes with their, with their groups. So the, the act of getting information from your users, the secure data, how are you how are you handling that and what what are the major things that you can share in terms of what to avoid and what to make sure that you're doing at a minimum i mean we've got people from potentially all over the us world using tools that comes with different levels of of 
security requirements on the federal level and, and EU. Uh, so maybe share your, your advice on that. Yeah, so that's, that's probably the most challenging one because you do have GDPR and CCPA in California. And you, so you've got these statutes, these that, that um, regulations that force you to comply. You can't make the user waive their rights. They're built in, right? So that deals with personal information. If you're collecting personal information, then you've got all sorts of obligations that you've got with that personal information. Um, and you've got your data processing agreement and your, your data controller agreement with potentially, if you're going to be white labeling what you're doing, you know, you've got a, you've got upstream and downstream people. All of this GDPR obligation stuff on the personal information has got to be analyzed. And then you've got to make sure you, you're at least visually compliant with GDPR. You don't want someone to look at your website and see, oh, they don't even have a, uh, a GDPR uh, policy. They don't have a data security policy. They don't have the data rights built into the privacy policy. With ChatGPT, they have so far taken a position that they're not storing any personal information. They're not using it for any purposes to teach their models down the line. And so they've taken a, um, a very, um, conservative approach to personal information where they just don't want it and they don't want to deal with it. And so if you just simply build on their API, you can piggyback off of their work product and pass that downstream. However, if you're working, uh, if you're building something, you also have the option of building on top of that API. So if you're going to have people register for the service, you're now collecting personal information. You've got to comply. Right. If those people potentially are from the EU or EU citizens, you have no choice. You have to comply. Most 98 percent of the, the businesses that we deal with just simply concede that they're going to have EU GDPR issues. Other people will simply try and block the EU so that they don't have to deal with it. But it's a, it's a very challenging thing because with GDPR and CCPA, it's not like, oh, draft this and put it up on the website. It's day in and day out compliance. It has to be trained up and down your organization. It has to be constantly upgraded every single quarter for the entirety of your existence. No company from my point of view is fully compliant with GDPR. Your goal is to become reasonably compliant given the fact that you don't have a $2 million to spend on compliance this year, right? So you've got to be in the game and you've got to be aware and you've got to keep doing that. We have clients who come to us to, to put them into a GDPR program because something terrible happened in their niche to one of their competitors on a data issue. And now all the customers out there want to know, what's your GDPR policy? Do you have a data processing agreement? Who are your sub-processors? Can we see your data security policy? These types of things can become a market barrier, a competitive advantage for you if you do it marginally right. Yeah. Well, and I just see so many applications to to AI on personal information, uh, and I, I feel that that is still an area that's overlooked by a lot of businesses. You totally. get in there, and so it's it's something to highlight uh, for sure. So the applications um, are. I don't think there's any industry that's not going to be impacted, but 
certainly you've talked a lot about how lawyers can use AI to improve their businesses. And I am, I've been practicing 13 years now. Uh, you're a little more tenured than me, but I know from my experience as a younger attorney, I had tools that were, you know, at my fingertips. Westlaw was just um, starting their regular searching, like uh, common law searching, not having to go look in books was a new thing. So the evolution of, of how it's going to change the practice of law, I think, is inevitable. What do you see happening and what are you doing in your practice to use these tools um, on a day to day basis? Well, first off, I'm writing a book on this exact topic, and that hopefully will be coming out um, in, in May or June, because I do, you know, changing the way law of practice practices our byline, Travis Legal, and, and we have been trying to inspire other lawyers and law firms to integrate technology, to innovate, to change the business of law to be more client-centric, more client-friendly, right? Technology is the primary tool by which that occurs. And so internally, we're using AI every day to do things like um, craft emails to clients and adversaries where you take your three sentences and have ChatGPT turn it into, into three paragraphs that are appropriate and professional and engaging, right? So you can, just simple stuff, you can up your email game big time with a Gmail plugin or simply cutting and pasting uh, into ChatGPT. You should, you should get registered for the $20 a month account with ChatGPT. You should get on ChatGPT4. You know, all these things get in the game. If you're not already engaging with ChatGPT, you are at risk of being left behind. You need to start figuring out how to use these tools. And it is simple stuff. Um, for, for me, if I've got a client that is in a particular industry niche, I'll go to ChatGPT to ask what are the key legal factors that clients in this niche face day in and day out. And ChatGPT will give me a list and, and, and that's amazing. So it's for your own information. You could say, I need to know what the latest case law in California is on enforceability of click wraps. That is a starting point for research. It may give you some bad information, sometimes some bad cases, but it's going to tell you uh, enough to be able to, to kick off the researcher to know where the edges are of that. And then you could say, what is that case citation? Tell me more about that case. Keep talking to the AI. So that's on the lawyer side. Let's talk about what I think is even the more intriguing side, which is the client side. How are clients going to become more empowered, more knowledgeable using AI? What are lawyers going to do to make their clients more knowledgeable? So we're building applications right now, Traverse AI, which will be designed to educate clients on virtually any issue that they're interested in or that they contact you on. If they contact you on a trademark registration, you and I, Melissa, we give the same speech every single time. Last about 10 minutes, right? Um, well, what if the client could simply go to an AI tool where you've pre-designed all of the questions, all of the prompting, engineering, everything to guide them through the information that they are going to absolutely need before they start that trademark registration process? Or if they're picking a trademark, uh, a, a series of prompts that are already pre-populated to help them know how to pick a brand name or company name. 
So we're building all those tools for clients right now to make them, we call it client intelligence. An intelligent client is going to be, uh, is going to have better outcomes and is going to engage better with, with attorneys. So we just are full in on, on really leveraging AI to be able to deliver more quality in less time for clients. And I know that's scary to even say that because hourly billing red flags are going up in everyone's mind. Right? Oh, what do you mean if I, what took me an hour is now going to take me five minutes? I'm going to be out of business. No, you're not. Clients have, if you are in this, remember we talked about outside general counsel. If they are hiring you to help their businesses grow and they've got a $5,000 a month budget, it's not that you're going to only be able to bill $500 now. It's that you're going to be able to do so much more for $5,000 and provide them so more, so much more value. Get down that priority list much deeper than you otherwise could without AI. And for those of us who are not in the one-off business, are in the client relationship business, we're going to be winners because our clients are going to be more educated about their their issue. They're going to be able to make better decisions. They're going to be able to engage better with you. You get better outcomes. You're going to be able to deliver more for less and get what you hope to get as the attorney is have a client that's extremely successful and you've been part of that success. So your, your book, May. May, I, I'm open by, I've got May 14th as a near final date that I hope to, and it's, it's essentially the history of, in, of innovation, technology innovation in the law, the resistance of lawyers to that innovation, um, and how that, you know, what are those barriers that make lawyers recoil from having to change and innovate, um, and examples of where, of the different innovations from the fax machine, right, to a computer processor, a desktop computer, right, a personal computer, all these things that had dramatic impacts so that we have context to understand what is the impact of AI going to be. And I will tell you the punchline, which I think you could probably guess is, it's gonna have more of an impact than any pre-existing pre -existing technology uh, has ever had on the business of law, uh, on the, the, the way that clients and lawyers interact. And if you're not in the game as a lawyer, if you're not learning this, if you're not taking advantage of the tools, you're gonna be left behind. And I know that sounds scary, but here's the best news of the day. If you're a lawyer, these platforms are going to bake AI right into your tools. Westlaw is no longer going to be a search bar along the top. It's going to be an AI interface, and you're going to tell or upload something into, into Westlaw like the opposing briefs, and it's going to generate all of the contrary arguments law and give you a draft brief in response. Google. Docs, Sheets, Gmail, you know, build AI into all those platform tools. And you just need to understand how you get access to those AI tools, because they're going to be premium in, in some instances, and then how to interact with them and how to use them. There will be stuff that gets developed that's special for law firms that law firms are, are, are taking advantage of. But by and large, you just have to get your head into the game and be there when the functionality arrives at your desktop and be okay with offering that as a value added to your client. So, so not to, to take away the themes from the book and, and everyone be sure and grab a copy, but what, if, if you're going to give a 
lawyer tools, what are like your top three? Chat GPT, obviously dig in, get the subscription. It's worth it. It's really cool. It definitely yep. just passed the bar exam, which is, is so funny. Um, not surprising. But what what are two or three other other resources to just get people started on involving their practice into this space? Yeah, so there's a, uh, here's the deal. If you're using um, Google, if you're using Chrome, there's a browser extension uh, that is great and it's called Chat GPT Sidebar. So go to the Chrome store, type in Chat GPT Sidebar, and it will have a number of pre-formatted pre, um, prompts in the sidebar, rewrite, um, summarize, but then the best part is you can add custom prompts with all the prompt, what they call prompt engineering or prompt logic. You can build it all in. So if you know that you want to create a prompt that's going to say, um, I'm going to provide you context uh, from a, from the conversation. I want you to consider that context. Um, I'm going to give you a couple lines of the response. I want you to expand on that response. You can actually build that right into the sidebar tool, and all you're doing is clicking a dropdown and and cutting cu copying the the stuff from the screen, and it's now spitting out. So, Chat GPT sidebar, great current tool. Definitely get in on ChatGPT, but if you go into OpenAI and you register, there is a um, you can actually get access to the API through the through the OpenAI login. But even better, it's got something called the playground around the top of the toolbar, and the playground is basically a place for you to play in a more complex way than ChatGPT. Forget all that; you're not there yet. But if you look in the upper right-hand corner, there's a little microphone, and it's speech to text, and so you can dictate your prompting into the into the tool. I don't use it for that. I use it for dictation because unlike some of these other tools, not only does it transcribe what you're saying, but it then runs AI on it to get rid of you know, anything that's not appropriate to rewrite things so that it makes sense. It actually is an AI tool on speech transcription. So it's super accurate and it gives you way better outcomes to speech to text. And you can then copy that and put it in your email as a draft, put it in your case management system as a message to your client, do a little editing. You're able to get a lot more content than you otherwise could if you're typing everything out. So it's open AI, go to there, register, top right of the of the of the menu, playground, and then in the box you'll see a little microphone, speech to text, use it for transcription. It's awesome. All right. Well I'll be sure and put that in the show notes as well. Um, anything else you want to leave with listeners on this topic? I, I would just say that um, the biggest thing that we see with new and emerging tech and, and companies who are trying to leverage that and build out businesses on top of it is you get this early stage where everything's just going crazy and the adoption is going crazy and, and you feel like you've got to get your, your product launched. We saw it in NFTs and blockchain and there were a lot of disaster pro, uh, projects that, had, that hadn't considered the legal issues before launching and got shut down because they didn't do basic legal 
copyright protection, trademark uh, clearance, any of that stuff, right? Don't be FOMO'd into a business model that is going to fail. Take your time on some of these key legal issues, interact with your attorney, pre-launch. I am constantly dialing people back from their, their launch date that they tell me, yeah. and they're doing it voluntarily once they hear about some of the, the basic stuff they've got to get in order first, and they're happy to actually push that launch date back um, so that they can get some of the basics covered, the bet the company issues that could put them down in a year or five years from now. Awesome. So where can people find you? If they want to follow your content, which is always so uh, up and coming and learn more about your law firm. So traverslegal.com is the law firm. If you type in Enrico and lawyer or Enrico and AI or Enrico or in anything on Google, chances are I'm going to come up. I've got a LinkedIn profile. I've got social media channels that I share a tremendous amount of information I'm trying to help and level up lawyers and clients alike, um, all for free. So, uh, so I'm easy to find. I've got tens of thousands of results on Google search that all come back to me somehow. So, and I will speak to that. Your content is really fun and engaging. So uh, I just want to thank you for, for joining me today. Uh, everybody, uh, thanks for listening to this episode. Follow along the Law Spot podcast if you want to hear more and get updates from us. Enrico, thanks so much. Thank you, Melissa. Look forward to working with you again in the future. Yes.